I definitely think in terms of guilt, I've struggled with kind of putting myself on like a recovery timeline. And I think maybe you have struggled with the same thing in the sense that being in a recovery community, it's ironic because I think a lot of us got into that situation from comparison, but yet here we are like comparing each other again, even in our recovery journeys, at least in my experience. And I think that I really struggled with the sense that, you know, I would see somebody say like, you know, I binged for like three months before I ended up getting over it. And I'm like, I've been binging for like seven months. It's like, what's going on here? You know, so I think that is definitely kind of what can induce guilt when I start to compare myself with others. I haven't struggled too much with inflicting guilt on myself, I suppose, in terms of recovery, if that makes any sense. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to the Let's Thrive Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Now, this podcast, if you're new around here, is a place for empowering and uplifting conversations with really no BS involved. I think we get enough of that in the daily life and through the news and social media, and so I just try to steer clear of that here, you know, good vibes only. Uh, No, all vibes, all energy, all emotions are valid, but I just... When it comes to, you know, bullshit, I just, I don't want that in my life, in my work, in my podcast. So on the topic of no BS, tell it as it is kind of mentality, today's guest is the queen of that, and I mean that in the best possible way. She's a dear, dear friend of mine, Avery of the infamous Talk Tummy to Me on Instagram, and she is single-handedly the most honest, funny, and caring person I've ever had the pleasure of calling a friend. And I mean, there is nothing. That will keep Avery from telling you as it is or from speaking up on something she's passionate about. And I mean that in the best possible way. I wish I was more like that. (laughs) I just think there's so many facets of life that are glazed over to be extra special or glitzy or taboo or, you know, just accepted when in reality, we should be talking about them. We should be challenging ourselves to think differently, to interact differently, and they're all things that need to be discussed. And that's exactly what Avery does. And I've just started to really realize this in my own life and with others where we tell ourselves so many little lies, you know, every day. And sometimes we lie to others as well. And whether that's to make a situation easier to handle, it's more comfortable or more acceptable, we tell these little white lies, so to speak, to ourselves or to others because it's just kind of the conditioning of society. And, you know, for instance, we we say we're recovered when deep down we're still struggling. Or we say we love ourselves when inside we can't stand the weight gain. Or we say we're going to change and yet we never do the work. We just say so many things. I myself am guilty of this. I'm sure we're all guilty of this. And most of the time, We're not really intending to lie. We're not intending any ill will, but we're just so caught up in the cycle of life. And sometimes it's easier to say a little lie to ourselves or others rather than face the truth. So I'm not calling myself or all of us a liar. 
because what's to define a liar? I'm just saying that sometimes we are afraid, we just can't handle the truth. And that's why I appreciate the work that Avery does and the way that she shares her emotions, her thoughts, and the topics she does discuss. (laughs) And you know, I'll give an example of how I did this with myself. Where a year ago, I was announcing all over the place that I was recovered, loud and proud, eating disorder be gone, blah, 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 I rule my life now. Well, (laughs) fat laugh at that because hello, it's one year later and within the past really five to six months, I've publicly stated again uh, the fact that I'm not recovered. That doesn't mean I haven't made progress because I definitely have. But I'm confident in myself enough now to admit the truth that I'm still on the journey of recovery. I still have things to work through. And I'm not saying I'm good or bad or this or that. I'm just saying I'm still on the journey and I finally have admitted that to myself. You know, I still have old thoughts, old habits stuck in my subconscious. There are still foods that make me hesitate slightly and there are still days where that, you know, sneaky little thought, that sneaky little urge to eat less or eat more, you know, whether that's emotional or binge eating or restrictive, there are still days where, you know, my body image is so tied into my self-worth that I just downward spiral. And then there are lots and lots of days where I'm completely free of my eating disorder past. But until those days outweigh the other days and you know, I just feel really confident in my abilities to live free from that past, I'm still in recovery, actively in it. And that's okay. It's beautiful, actually, because for the first time in eight years, I can actually admit the truth out loud to myself and to thousands of people. (laughs) Um, So that's what I'm talking about. Like, it's this first step to any true recovery or moving forward in life or growing, evolving is acceptance. And So to face all the lies you've told yourself or others, to face all the shame or the guilt you may feel, to face all the fears that hold you back, and to face yourself with love rather than despair or hate or frustration, to face your most authentic self and feel no desire for more. And that's what I meant when I described Avery. She's just someone that tells you that hard truth up front because she cares. That's why people love her and flock to her page because we all know that Avery has such a big heart, but she's also a no BS zone. Once more, saying that in the best possible way ever, I admire it. She tackles the hard topics like binge eating, weight gain, body dysmorphia, anxiety, depression, and all these other struggles. She tackles the taboo topics and shares them in her own life and owns up to them, and which is something I think we can all do more of and I'll discuss more often. And you don't have to have an Instagram or any sort of account to share these things publicly, but you do need to admit them to yourself if you ever want to progress. You need to say them aloud when no one is around or journal them down or think through them in your thoughts, whatever it takes, but you need to accept them for yourself. And, you know, I've stated in previous podcasts how journaling has done that for me where you write the words and sometimes they take you by surprise of 
wow, I didn't realize I had that much uh, <laughs> negative thoughts about myself, but you write them down, you see them, you accept them, and you start to move on. You start to grow from that experience. So I just urge you to give this a try. Maybe try to identify some lies you've been telling yourself or just some ways you've been avoiding the truth in your own life or with others. Just analyze them, think on them a bit, maybe journal, talk it out. Um, you can always find me on Instagram at Emily Feichels. I'd be happy to like discuss this with you. You guys know I'm all about that. So yeah, just go ahead. And you know, back to Avery real quick and just the 101 reasons why she's a queen. In this episode, we really discuss a plethora of topics. So most of them aren't the fun or easy ones to do, but we discuss them anyway. And Avery shares so honestly, I love it. So we do tackle the idea of recovery and how stress and anxiety play into that, using food to cope, um, and in that, building self-awareness to identify past struggles, old habits, triggers, and overcome them rather than constantly fall back into them. Avery brings this up, and then I really relate to it where it's the idea of, you know, we all know the comparison trap, but the comparison trap when it comes to recovery of comparing ourselves along the recovery timeline. So thinking, you know, you're not far enough along, and so we really analyze that and share both of our perspectives when it comes to that. And then also, you know, in that idea of recovering and along the timeline and, you know, Avery brings up how with binge eating, it's been a much longer journey than she anticipated. And so, you know, I share about a bit about my experience with it. And we really talk about, you know, letting go of that guilt or shame and just allowing your body to adjust. So lots of good. And of course, we do discuss weight gain and body dysmorphia and bloating and, you know, how those gut issues can actually impact recovery. So there's just so much we could have talked for, I don't even know how much longer, but um, so lots of insight in this one, but also a lot of laughter and just, you know, good communication. Um, you know, Avery and I just loved talking with each other and I just really hope that you guys pick up on that chemistry, that energy and can, you know, feel like you're sitting there with us and have some community, have something to relate to. So if you do, and if you did feel those ways, um, you can connect with us. Avery is on Instagram at Talk Tummy To Me, and I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive the Podcast, or just Let's Thrive Podcast, uh, correct me. <laughs> uh, and as always, if you want to support the show, it would mean so much and just make my day. And know that you're supporting a um, struggling creative right now. So you can go on Apple Podcasts, leave a rate and review, and even subscribe would mean so much. So without further ado, let's begin. Okay, well, we are starting out with a quick chat, a quick chat on the Vampire Diaries, because as oh, you know, hell yeah, I just finished it. We are recording uh, on Friday, March 26th, and I just finished it, and I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do with myself. <laughs> like, how do I relax on the weekends now without my favorite show? So, I mean. Oh, dude, I swear, I can't even tell you, I've probably seen Vampire Diaries through at least four or five times. Like, I finish it, and then I go right back to the beginning of the first season, and I swear it almost gets better like when you keep rewatching it because you're like, I love that scene. And then it's just, oh, it's the best. They are just the best characters. But it's funny because I can't picture any of them playing anybody else. Like it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> oh my God, I know. So I'm the same way with the Harry Potter movies. Like I've watched them all, I don't even know how many times. 
And it's funny because like now, yeah, like they do get better. But this was my first time finishing Vampire Diaries and I'm still in shock. I mean, like I just wanted more Damon and Elena because she was gone all of season eight. And then she just pops up. They're back together. And then they close. I'm not going to say the closing. Oh, damn. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, anyone. That's okay. watching it's the show out since like 2009 it's fine i know that is true that is true <laughs> but yeah it is funny because i saw that that ian he's he had whatever the v wars or whatever that new thing is i'm like i can't see him in anything else now like those characters are ruined for me they have to stay in vampire diaries but. i know i feel the same way i actually did watch like the first episode of v wars and i was like this is trash like i, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't continue with it but i I did the best. Also, I feel like I have to be fully transparent. I have not seen the entire Harry Potter series. I feel like I'm the only person our age that can say that. No, like, I was just talking with someone else the other day, and they hadn't either, so you're all that's comforting. Yeah. Yay. I mean, I've never, I've, I had so many people, so I moved on to Game of Thrones. I quickly found a new show to fill my gap, but (laughs) I had a lot of people say, like, they were surprised I hadn't watched Game of Thrones yet, because it's right up my alley. But it's on, yeah. like, and I didn't have that. Now I do, so. Yeah, my sister is obsessed with it, but I've never seen that either. Oh, yeah, I feel okay. like Vampire Diaries is kind of the exception of the rule to me because I'm not a huge sci-fi person. I just love that show. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. I know. It's someone, last thing I'll say about it is someone, if anyone's contemplating watching it, I had someone say they wanted to watch it, but they weren't big into vampires. And I'm like, look, it's all about the love, the, like the love triangles, the love relationships. That's all I'm in it for. Like, I'm not yeah. especially a vampire fan. So, yeah. Can't say that's my type, but yeah. you know. <laughs> Closing statement. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, we love that. That's something that we bonded over very easily alongside cats, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sam's all balled up by the radiator now. That's like his new favorite spot. He just digs himself into the corner. It's really Chili- cute. He's nice Chili- and cozy experiences summer but yeah days. <laughs> well, moving on to real life talk besides vampires and cats and such the uh, juicy just, stuff yeah all the good stuff <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to ask like to start off so as of now like we're you know we're recording this in a big part of history of the world it's chaos whatever you want to say but mm. how do you feel like right now in terms of health and recovery and just like, let's start with where you're at in the present, and then we'll move into all the other fun stuff. Hmm. So, yes, there is a lot going on in the world currently. I would say, quite frankly, I do honestly feel like everything that's going on has really kind of made me, I don't want to say reverse, but kind of make me question my progress in the sense that for a while, I think that I had come really far. But now that a lot of things have changed, especially my routine, like going to campus and kind of having a consistency where food isn't really something, or even my body, I don't really have time to focus on it. Like I just really made an effort to kind of fill my schedule with other things that make me happy, whether it be like reading or just going for a walk or kind of doing anything else to distract myself versus now I am kind of coming to realize now that I am doing school online and we're all self-isolating I think I'm starting to realize how much I kind of hung on to that routine really tightly as a way to kind of keep me on track. Um, I will say, though, that I do think that I have over time developed some sense of self-awareness in the sense that I can tell, like right now, I can openly admit that I'm struggling and that 
I'm having a lot of these thoughts versus in the past, I absolutely would have denied it. And I never would have thought that there could have been anything wrong. So in that case scenario, I think just realizing that maybe this is coming in waves and maybe this is just a bad phase throughout the process of recovery, that kind of helps me feel like I have made progress and I will be able to get past this. It's kind of just a bump in the road right now. Oh, I love that. And what you said about being self-aware is like one of the most important parts, I think, because Mm. same with you. I mean, last night I was recording with Nikki from it's Nicolette Mm. Marie. And Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the convo, I was just very upfront about the fact that I too, like I'm struggling. There were things that it's, you know, like you said, your routine, my routine, they kind of cover it up. It's kind of like a bandaid fixes Mm -hmm. the issue. You're not thinking about it. So you don't think it's an issue. And then you're just like, stuck with yourself and your thoughts and suddenly you realize things that you thought you know were maybe fully recovered fully gone fully healed weren't really and they're kind of starting to surface again yeah absolutely and I also think that you know I think it varies for everybody but people always say that it's rarely about the food you know and at least in my own personal experience I certainly think that's true and I can see that now in the sense that I am very anxious right now, and I feel like I'm just absorbing all this tense energy around me given the state of things. And I think that focusing on food and stuff just serves as a channel for me to kind of almost release that anxiety by transferring it or projecting it onto what I'm eating as opposed to actually dealing with it, you know? And I think that now this has just become something that I so quickly revert to, and I really do hope to gain like some different coping mechanisms in the future but it just feels like something that's within your reach you know and I think that's why it's so hard to get over it because it just gives us like illusory sense of control that we all want especially now. I was going to ask do you think you know your relationship with food you know even your the beginning of your eating disorder do you think control and wanting a sense of control was like a big factor in starting this entire thing for you? Mm. Absolutely. Um, I definitely got the worst for me. Like I remember the hardest time of it all for me was my last semester of college right before I graduated. And I, while I know it's obviously multifactorial and there was a lot of things that tied into it, I know for a fact that what happened at that time period was I was a pre-medical student my entire undergrad career. And then my last semester of college after already applying to medical school, I was like, you know, like, maybe I'm not really feeling that. So totally changing my mind, like, absolutely. And then jumping into a sociology master's program, which is completely different. I think all the stress of that just really started to eat away at me. And that kind of just made the perfect storm, I guess. I feel that. And I think that's something, you know, more and more people are starting to realize is it, like you said, it's not about the food. It's not about the exercise, whatever our you know, issue is it's way deeper than that. If you start Mm -hmm. looking back, feeling back the layers and kind of like analyzing, I don't know, asking yourself, like, why do I feel this way? You know, why am I doing this? Why do I feel this urge to, you know, behave, think, go about that, that certain way? Yeah, absolutely. And I also think like the stress of all that really suppressed my appetite actually and then that just kind of made it like I was like well I'm not going to force myself to eat like if I don't need it you know whatever so I think that the stress was very conducive to me kind of spiraling downhill (laughs) oh yes oh yes that that can do it Um, yeah so like in that time 
Do you remember a specific moment where you thought this is getting out of control? Like the moment when your self-awareness kicked in and you realized something's going on. I need to, I need to look at this closer. I do. It's funny. I feel like I can pinpoint the exact moment where I was like, enough is enough. And it's funny because I feel like a lot of people say that. And I was like, that's bullshit. I'm never going to get out of this, whatever. Um, But basically what happened was, so yeah, at that time, I was in my first semester of doing a master's program in sociology. And my cohort and I was about like 13 of us. A group of seven of us decided to go to a Bills game. So I went to school in Buffalo. And so it was like the middle of November. It was cold. I mean, it's Buffalo, but it wasn't freezing. It was probably like 30 degrees, not anything that I wouldn't have been able to handle in the past. So anyways, we decided to tailgate and then go into the game. And I just remember the second, like even 20 minutes into tailgating, I was frozen, like frozen to my core and I was miserable and I was trying so hard to warm up. I had probably five jackets on. All of my friends were giving me jackets. My one friend gave me uh, her pair of gloves. Like everyone was trying to help me warm up, but nothing was working. And then when we started to actually walk towards the stadium, so we were tailgating for probably about an hour. When we started to actually head towards the stadium, I actually started crying because I was so cold and just in so much pain. And the fact that we were just walking into the stadium, I was like, I am not going to survive this. Literally, it was a really scary thing for me to do. We ended up getting into the stadium and I never even stepped foot onto the bleachers. I just ran to the bathroom to try and get some type of relief temporarily but even still the bathroom didn't have any heat or anything so it was just like kind of a shelter from the wind but it was still really cold and I just sat in that bathroom stall and I just sobbed my eyes out for two hours straight I never saw my cohort I had like a couple of them texting me asking if they wanted them to come like sit with me or if I could come out and just in that moment it just became so apparent to me like I was missing out on my life and experiences like this is grad school, you know, and I think the most important thing in grad school is your friends and making sure that you have people to get you through it. And the fact that I was almost kind of depriving myself of that and then just like putting myself in this really miserable situation, it really kind of just opened my eyes. And I was like, I never want to find myself in that position again. And I hang on to that story so tightly because anytime that I ever feel really tempted to kind of like revert back I just remember that time and I just remember how like sad and empty and miserable I felt and that is usually enough to kind of snap me back into place and remember why I'm doing this in the first place. I think it's been interesting interviewing so many people with eating disorders that painful cold the memory of having cold so cold it's painful you know it's just it's like ice in your veins Mm-hmm. comes up almost every single time. And even as you were talking, I flashed back to my, you know, the first times when I realized, you know, I'm born and bred in Pennsylvania. Like I ski when it's negative five degrees. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm bred for this cold weather. And Same. I just remember similar to you going to a football game, you know, and it was a, mm. it was like a fall night. So probably, you know, thirties, whatever degrees. And yeah, same thing, just like this cold that I could not shake and mm-hmm. just feeling like dead, dead inside. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's just, so if anyone has felt that, if you're feeling it, you know, like still to the day, kind of, you know, let that be a, a sign, something to take note of, because that is, you know, I've interviewed so, you know, probably 40, 50 people now, because everyone seems to have a past like this. And 
that mm. almost always comes up. So I think that's a big thing people can look out for too. Yeah, so true. It's just, it really is. I just feel like if you've experienced it, you know that it is just this, yeah, it's just this like chilling experience, literally, like physically and metaphorically. It just makes you feel a certain way. <laughs> I can't even explain it, but it's just, yeah, it definitely is enough to kind of shake you to your core. And I totally agree. Like that's, you know, I grew up, well, I'm from New York, but my, I've been skiing my entire life and I never ever have had an issue like being cold. And then to think that that's where I put myself, I was like, something is not right here. If I cannot handle this, it's not just like by chance, like I happen to do something that put me here, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like starting to listen to your body. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one of the major signs that can throw you in. You know, you mentioned that you think of that sometimes when old habits, old thoughts might creep in, want you to revert to those times, you know, say that does happen. Say you have a time where you let that thought in, you let the habit take place, whatever it is. How do you get past that without feeling guilt, you know, without labeling it as this huge setback that's going to, you know, completely derail your recovery? Because that's simply not the case. You know, like we are able to move past them. Is there anything you tell yourself, remind yourself Mm. to, to move through those times if it happens it's definitely happened I will say that it's like even happening right now you know I think something to be totally honest I think something that I still struggle with is if I do end up kind of like taking steps back like say I didn't eat enough like one of these days or something I don't really feel guilt yet if that makes sense like sometimes it is kind of like a good feeling almost, you know, like I still have that sense of almost like you're doing a great job. And then kind of the next day I'll wake up and be like, wow, I'm starving. This isn't really that fun. Like maybe I shouldn't have done that, you know, but I've never really gotten to a point where I feel super guilty for that. It's usually on the flip side and I feel like I've overdone it and I've kind of gone in the other direction. So that's tough to say, but I mean, I definitely think in terms of guilt, I've struggled with kind of putting myself on like a recovery timeline. And I think maybe you have struggled with the same thing in the sense that being in a recovery community, it's ironic because I think a lot of us got into that situation from comparison, but yet here we are like comparing each other again, even in our recovery journeys, at least in my experience. And I think that I really struggled with the sense that, you know, I would see somebody say like, you know, I binged for like three months before I ended up getting over it. And I'm like, I've been binging for like seven months. It's like, what's going on here? You know, so I think that is definitely kind of what can induce guilt when I start to compare myself with others. I haven't struggled too much with inflicting guilt on myself, I suppose, in terms of recovery, if that makes any sense. It makes complete sense. And I'm actually right there with you where it's, so I find that I'm, you know, at a point now where I'm not so much reverting backwards, but I'm still facing guilt and you know, like fear, anxiety about overdoing it, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because I just, it's once more, you know, like things feel out of control right now in the world. And so part of me doesn't want to get to a point where, you know, I might lose control. And, you know, I, through my stages of binging when I was in recovery, and that was like two years ago. And, you know, now the thing I struggle with, and you kind of touched on it in the beginning is like the emotional eating. And Mm -hmm. the other night, I kind of, I was emotionally eating and I started to feel like some guilt creep in and I'm like, why am I feeling this? And I just realized mm. that fear of overdoing it, you know, like the, the guilt yeah. of overdoing it, like does this overeating lead to really overeating or almost to a binge? Like 
I don't know. It, it's almost like that fear, the guilt of the what if or what could happen in the future. Absolutely. And I think also like something that I just said to my roommate yesterday even was I think when I first kind of started recovery, but then really kind of when the binges started, I absolutely dealt with guilt. I'm not going to say that I didn't. I mean, it's like all consuming. I think anybody that's binged knows that. But I think after that happened for a period of time, I was kind of like, you know, okay, maybe my body actually like really did need this. This was necessary. It's fine. Versus now that I've been weight restored for like a couple months, it's that's when it gets really, really hard for me to be like, why on earth is this still happening? Like I put on a healthy amount of weight. I don't know why this is continuing. And I think that's where I really struggle is, yeah, I kind of almost gauged my recovery and like, if I put on X amount of pounds, then I'm good. Like, then I'm fine. And now that I've surpassed that and I'm, like, still struggling with certain habits, it really makes it a lot harder. It's almost like I still want control, even in recovery, you know, not just in my disorder. So it's an interesting uh, concept, I suppose. <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. And something that I relate to in that aspect is the idea of, you know, I, for a while, similar to you, I thought, you know, I've been weight restored for about like a year and a half now. Um, and where I'm at now is that I, I don't restrict anymore. Like I just, my relationship to food has been healed in the sense where like, I'll never really deprive myself of, I don't ever deprive myself of food because Mm -hmm. I just, I'm hungry. I love it, whatever. But Mm -hmm. I found that what was causing me to still overeat, to still, you know, just really, you know, sometimes go over top with things is that even though you're not restricting food, you can still be restricting in the sense of fear mm. foods, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of you're trying like, sure, you're eating all this food, but it's all quote unquote, like super healthier, you know, like Avo Queen has always talked about this. Ali Bonar on Instagram. I love her. My girl. Yes, I know your queen, <laughs> all of our queens. Um, the idea of, you know, like you can, like we, I went through the stage where it's like, you're overeating all this healthy food to try to accommodate for the fact that you just want like a, a, a damn cookie like a damn regular cookie. And so mm-hmm. like, do you, have you faced that idea of not restricting, you know, food per se, but kind of restricting in those other ways, you know, of specific foods or specific ingredients or indulgences, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny, actually, I just realized today, like right before we started that today is the one year anniversary of my account, which made me like all emotional. I know it's crazy. But the thing that that makes me think of is when I first started this account, uh, I was absolutely in what we call quasi-recovery, I suppose. So where I thought that I was well and dandy, but in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I really don't think that was the case. Um, For example, the reason I say that is I just remember that I felt like I was being so free with my food and like eating all these things and like baking and cooking and coming up with all these things. And then I remember that I went over to my friend's house and she was like, I'm going to make us dinner. And I saw her pour oil into the pan and I almost had a seizure standing there. (laughs) And then I was like, okay, maybe I'm uh, not exactly where I thought I was. Like, and I still kind of struggle with that, even like going out to eat and stuff. It's hard for me to not know what exactly I'm putting in my body. Because I think after, you know, drilling calorie counts and things like that into your head. I definitely think that that noise gets softer. But for me, if I push myself, I can find out how much is in the food that I just made, you know? So I think somehow I still kind of hang to that comfort that 
I can find out if I need to, you know, versus need to, quote unquote. Um, but in other situations, I can't. And again, I think it, for me, it always ties back to a sense of control somehow. And do you think that another, you know, you mentioned when you got to eat and not knowing, you know, what foods you're putting in your body, that type of thing. Do you think any of that also comes from the fact that we both, you know, severely struggle with our gut and, um, mm. you know, like bloating and body dysmorphia is something we'll touch on in a couple minutes, but do you, you know, feel like your gut health or, you know, like struggles with gut health have influenced your recovery in any way like that? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I just remember, I think that was one of the things that I struggled with the most when making the account was at first it felt really nice for me to like connect with people and all this stuff. But then I started to feel like I almost wasn't being given the same opportunity that other people were given in terms of their recovery, especially seeing things like, you know, Stephanie Buttermore's All In or things like that, where people truly have full freedom when it comes to food. And I kept thinking that I was never able to actually let myself get this sense of no restrictions because I quite literally cannot eat certain foods, especially with, I have celiac disease. So, you know, some foods like maybe say it's like broccoli or something. I haven't had that in a really long time, but I don't anticipate it would kill me. I probably would just be uncomfortable versus if I ate like bread, I would be in my bed for days on end. So things like that definitely made it really challenging. And I almost kind of felt like I just wasn't, yeah, like I said, I just felt like I wasn't being given an equal chance to recover and that my gut health was almost being an obstacle to that and like preventing me from really getting better. And it almost made it harder too, because I partly attribute my disorder to my gut health issues, which is just funny that it was almost like the start, but also the hindrance on my recovery, you know, I just wish that they would go away entirely. <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> I know I'm still waiting for that miracle cure. That, oh, so whatever too. we can take to just fix our yeah. damn intestines. Oh um, no. <laughs> no, I know. And I'm the same way. I mean, that's where I struggle with now. And like, it gets, it gets tricky when the line comes between food fears and then mm. what actually upsets your stomach. And you know, part of me is like, well, just screw it. Like I'll feel uncomfortable because I want to recover. I want to fully embrace these foods. I don't want to have any restrictions. And then you eat them and you're, you know, you're just miserable for that day, mm -hmm. a couple of days, whatever. And it's just such a mind fuck where you don't know, you don't know what to do. Like, do you, yeah. you know, do you just embrace it or do you hold on to those foods that, you know, just kind of bring you pain or discomfort, whatever. So I think that's one of the most challenging parts of like a recovery journey at least in my uh, yeah I totally agree and it's funny that you say that too because I feel like I've been thinking about this actually like the past couple days almost and being like I wonder part of me does wonder if I gave myself full freedom at least within bounds that I can so like no gluten I guess um but kind of giving myself full freedom somehow if that would almost like mediate or help relieve my gut issues in the long term you know but I am petrified of taking that leap like I know that people talk about fear foods in the sense of calories or whatever it is when it comes to restricting but I think both of us can talk about fear foods also in the sense of symptoms and like how I'm gonna feel afterwards and just the unpredictability of it all the thought of like totally loosening all the chains on my diet is a like just so scary to me I can't even think about doing it and then I just always find a reason to not do it like right now I'm 
in grad school and I'm like well I don't have time to do that so maybe later <laughs> and then after grad school it's a job no I'm the same way it's like yep every day I mean there's always an excuse and yeah I mean taking it back to that restaurant example like I'm I'm not really attached to calories anymore but I still do have so much fear around you know like if I'm out with my friends and I'm having dinner and I'm dressed up nice like I don't want to eat something that accidentally has you know like mm said foods that I know will cause my stomach to balloon out like a Mm -hmm. balloon. Like I just, yeah. So it's definitely something I'm working through. You're working through. I think a lot of people are. So I wanted to touch on that. Everybody, you are not alone. Um, We're right there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'll just say there too, in regards to like balancing gut health and whatnot, I think that I almost was just getting, I was pitying myself a lot because I think that a lot of people I think talk about food as if it has no role in their lives anymore at all, you know, and I just have felt like as long as my gut issues are here, food will always be a prominent role in my life because I have to pay such close attention to it. So in that sense, I definitely kind of play the victim here and there, tried to pull myself out of that mindset. But you know, I think we're all prone to feeling that way time to time. No, exactly. And I mean, but as with everything, all feelings are valid. All thoughts are valid. It's just mm-hmm. important to not let them drag you down forever. You know, you Absolutely. get down, you get back up, you keep going and mm-hmm. move on. But so, you know, we did mention on it before, but obviously our stomach issues, bloating, something that you share about a lot. I share about, mm-hmm. you know, time and time again. And so how has bloating and, you know, your, your view, your, you know, thoughts on your body kind of intermingled in these last, you know, last while, as far as, you know, topic of body dysmorphia goes. Mm, yeah, I mean, uh, it always, it always traces back to the bloat. I feel like that is what really kind of, the bloating is kind of what really sent me into a really dangerous place to begin with. I think because I, so I struggled with really, really bad bloating for a really long time. Before I got diagnosed with celiac disease, that was like my primary symptom. And I just looked pregnant all day, every day. And it was definitely something that I was self-conscious about, but I didn't think about nearly as heavily because I was so used to it at that point. Like I'd been dealing with it since middle school, you know? So it was just like, whatever. It was just like what my body looks like, you know? And then when I finally got diagnosed with celiac disease, I lost 20 pounds within like a month after getting that diagnosis. And then I never really struggled with bloat. Like, I mean, I had normal bloat, which I think we need to say clearly that it's normal to bloat. So I got that, you know, from time to time if I ate something weird, but it was never chronic or anything like that. And then when it started to come on and it was all day, every day, no matter what I ate, I woke up bloated, I went to bed even larger and it just became, I just felt like I had no idea who I was looking at in the mirror. And it was just such a scary feeling almost to feel like I couldn't recognize my own reflection. And I think that just ended up turning into this really crazy obsession because then I started to do the things, you know, like people are like, keep a food diary, whatever, which probably wasn't the best decision for me to make uh, at that time period in my life. But so I started keeping a food diary and I swear, Emily, I would eat something and then like stand in front of the mirror for like just how long to see if my stomach would distend, which is terrible. And I think that that just trapped me so deeply into that cycle of just doing whatever I can to like relieve the bloat somehow. That was like my number one goal. And then eventually I came to the realization that 
it was a little bit better if I ate slim to nothing, you know, and that's kind of how all of that started. And even still today, I think that's another thing that is really hard for me in recovery is ugh, like when I look at pictures from maybe, I don't know, seven months ago or something when I was bloated, I could vomit in my mouth. I'm like, I can't believe I thought I was bloated there. And now I look at myself now and I'm like, oh my God, it's just crazy. So yeah, I will say that bloat is still absolutely my number one struggle. And I think I've come a long way, but I will not say that it does not affect my daily life still. So well, I'm right there with you. And it is funny, you know, like if you look back or even just thinking back, uh, mm-hmm. when you, like you think something was bad then, it's like, oh, hell no. Like yeah, <laughs> you only knew what was coming. Um, I know. And I'm right there with you. And it just, it is tricky because you can be having a great day. You can be fine with yourself, with your body, with food. And then, you know, like that bloat comes up and I'm, you know, kind of similar with you where it is to the point where I don't know if it's chronic, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it just never goes away. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that too, that plays into fear foods. Cause you're like, what's going to make me bloated? Uh, you know, and then you're questioning yourself and it does turn into like a whole other obsession, a whole other addiction. Um, besides, yeah. you know, like an eating disorder, it's like a bloat disorder, you know, like yeah. nothing over it. Absolutely. And I also feel like, I mean, I don't know if you agree, but I really feel like the extent to which I bloat dictates my entire day. Like if I wake up ginormous, I am not a happy camper and my day is probably going to be ass versus if I wake up and I, you know, I mean, I'm bloated, but like I can handle it. It's usually easier for me to then shake it off and have a better day. But even still, if I feel like I look massive, that will ruin my whole day. I will cancel my plans. Like I still just can't get myself really to push myself a little bit further when I'm still really bloated just because it is it's so it makes me feel so bad about myself and I just the last thing I want to do is interact with other people when I feel that way so I know and do you think it's because we're tying you know in those moments in those instances we're tying our self-worth to our body even though you know we all probably fundamentally know that you know, true self-worth, true confidence, all that, like it does come one from within. Mm. We're not all there. I'm still struggling to get there. But, you know, do you think that that's kind of why it affects you so much? Like you're tying, you know, like your self-worth and your confidence to this external factor of your body that's out of your control. Yeah, I definitely think that that's what it is. To be totally honest, I feel when it comes to my, you know, confidence or whatever, I always say, I feel like at this point in my life, I feel very sure of myself as who I am in my personality and my intelligence and other things like that. I don't want those things and I really do embrace them. It's almost like my body is the one thing that I cannot be comfortable with. And sometimes, and again, I think that this is not necessarily a good association. It's probably not true. And I've talked about this before. So I don't mind mentioning it here. Um, but full transparency, I've like never had a boyfriend or anything like that, which isn't a big deal. If you haven't had a boyfriend, it's fine. Um, but for me, I always used to like complain to my friends about how I felt like guys just weren't attracted to me and like nobody would look twice at me and all these things. And then I think what ultimately ended up happening was I lost all this weight. And I think now in hindsight, I can realize I had this weird false sense of confidence about me, which I probably didn't have in the past. But when I lost that weight, 
I talked to more guys in that time period than I have in my entire life. And I think I created this like really weird association for myself where I felt like people would only be attracted to me for my body at a smaller size. And one of the things actually that, so I know we've talked about Demi Lovato because I love her and she was on a podcast recently and she made this statement that I resonated so deeply with. And she was saying that women today in our society are made to feel like their looks come before anything else. Like you can't offer the world anything until you've checked off this box that you like look part. And I felt like that was so, so true because I just think that, yeah, we focus so much on making sure that we fit the mold or like have this certain appearance. And then we feel like we can use our voice and then we feel like we can contribute something more than that, you know? But I just think it's so heartbreaking, honestly, to think that we feel like we have to look a certain way in order to offer something to the world I just think is disgusting honestly (laughs) oh I feel that and I'm right there with you where it does you know I hadn't really thought of it that way but looking back now when I was having my you know real struggling moments in high school you know I was confident little mofo I was just I was (laughs) feeling myself you know and then and then afterwards you know in recovery and you start gaining weight and you don't you don't really realize it in the moment, but then, you know, you're in a, suddenly you're in a social situation or a party, or you're just around these people and you just feel like, whoa, I can't go talk to them. Like Mm -hmm. they'll see I've changed. Like they'll see I've put on weight and stuff, but that's just not true. Like if you're with the right people, they don't care what you look like, you know, (laughs) like they're just looking at, you know, your personality. I'm so glad that you said that, honestly, because I think that's something that is missing from the conversation all the time, is that weird, almost illusory sense of confidence and empowerment. Like, I feel like I was on top of the damn world, you know? Like, I know a lot of people say, like, I wasn't happy with my body, whatever. I definitely wasn't. I was not very content with my body, but I was wearing crop tops all the time and shorts and just, like, I don't know, I didn't give a fuck, and I felt like everybody was looking at me, even though they probably were concerned, but in hindsight, I was like... (laughs) you know, like flipping my hair off my shoulder versus, it's just, it's crazy to me to think about that, you know, but I really do feel like not a lot of people acknowledge the fact that you do get this weird sense of control and empowerment and almost like you've mastered something, you know, and I think that that's not really talked about enough. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. No, I mean, yeah, it's very true. It's, it's, you know, like you feel separate from other people because you know, inside, you know, like I'm doing all these things to look like this, you know, like, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's different than say you were born naturally in a smaller body, you know, like when you are, you know, like for both of us, it was something we quote unquote worked towards. It's, it's almost Mm -hmm. like you're rewarded with this body that you wanted and you're given the control. And then, yeah, like you walk into these rooms, you feel, you know, like at least for in our experience, that was the case. Like we did feel that confidence and So then recovery is hard enough. And then you start to kind of take that sense of dominance, that sense of confidence away. And you're kind of left with like, who am I now? Mm. (laughs) Like I've lost that identity, you know? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. That's exactly what I was just going to say. I feel like even though we're going all the way back to like your first question about maybe something that is hindering me is that is exactly it. I think part of me still identifies myself with some part of my disorder, whether it's depression or whether it's this like need for control. 
I feel like that is something that is almost like a weird comfort to me now. And it's like a blanket that I wear. And that's why I think I struggle so much with really pushing myself to go back to therapy or like do other things because I can't imagine who I am as a person, like without that bird on my shoulder, you know, and it's scary. It's scary to question who you think you've known who you are your whole life just to be like, do I know, you know, I just, I put so much of myself into this, honestly, like a mental illness. And it's like, it's scary to think that that becomes something that is so deeply embedded in you that you can't think of who you possibly are without it. So, so true where, you know, it gets to the point. So, so, you know, we have a lot of friends with, you know, chronic illness and things like that, where at the beginning, it can be so easy to just completely identify yourself with Mm -hmm. that issue, with the health concern, Mm -hmm. with whatever it is. And, you know, you can oftentimes build a brand out of it, almost a business out of it, a community Mm -hmm. out of it. But at the end of the day, like, I think it is important to ask yourself, am I like fully identifying myself as you know, as depression, as anxiety, as mental illness, as an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there gets to be a point where you have to be able to let that part of yourself go, you know, and move on and yes. like, actually be okay with being happy. I think a lot of us are actually afraid of being happy. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so true. I think that I just think that we convince ourselves that we don't deserve it. One. And two, the second thing that I thought of when you just said that is And let me just say really fast, I think that people that do eating disorder coaching or like whatever they do, if they do a business with that, that's wonderful. If that's something that needs a lot to you, I think that's great. Please keep doing that. But I do think that for me personally, I could never ever in a million years make myself be like a recovery coach or really make my entire, you know, like, yeah, my page is very recovery based now. So that's something that I'm going through. But I really, really hope that that's not my page for forever, you know? And I think that if I were to make my account strictly based on recovery, it would almost kind of trap me in that mindset, you know? Because especially hearing stories about how other people are struggling, sometimes I really struggle to answer messages that I receive like that because it can be really triggering for me. So sometimes I'll just have to respond and say, you know, I'm really flattered that you can confide in me and I think it's huge that you're opening up about this and I think that's awesome that you're becoming self-aware however I don't necessarily think that I'm the right person to be giving you advice and maybe you could tell a family member or if you feel ready like maybe you can reach out to a counselor or something but I will never take on that role to someone through recovery because I just I don't see that being beneficial to my own yeah no very very true and like you said it's you want to give yourself opportunity to grow. So, you know, five years down the line, you know, like I sure hope, and I know that you sure hope that recovery isn't as big of a thing in your life and isn't taking Mm -hmm. up as much mind space. So Mm -hmm. very true. And, you know, that got me thinking when you were talking about, you know, how to, you know, respectfully message these people and say like, Hey, I'm maybe not your source for this. Like when it comes to talking with family members, friends, you know, Mm -hmm. classmates, whoever it is in your life, and something has to kind of come up about your eating disorder, or maybe you have to ask them to dial down on the diet culture, you know, they're implementing into your life. Like, do you have any ways to, you know, you suggest do that kind of respect, you know, you're you're respecting them, but also respecting yourself by speaking up and using your voice and standing up for Mm -hmm. what you need in this moment. Yeah. You know, I think that's such a challenging thing. And I think it's such a fine line between advocating and speaking up and doing something, but also placing your own boundaries. Because I think that 
there will be triggers everywhere. And I think that some of them we can address. Something like family members, I think that's something that you should absolutely address. You're seeing these people all the time, you know? So, I mean, I have said to my dad, to my aunt, to multiple people in my family, I need you to not comment on your body when I'm around, or I need you to stop making comments about my plate because you are aware of things that I've gone through. And even though you might not necessarily understand, I just am here to tell you that you saying things like that can be hurtful to me in healing. And given that they're your family, they want to be there for you. They want to support you. They want to help you, obviously, I hope. So if that's the case, I think most people, same with friends. I think that those are people that you should definitely speak to because these are some of the most important relationships in your life versus I think, say, you go to like a workout class or something and the like the spin instructor makes some comment about like, oh, you just like burned off breakfast, kids, or like something obnoxious like that, you know? I don't really know if I would necessarily go up to the spin instructor. I think maybe I would just not take classes with that instructor or like find some other way to remove myself from the situation because I do think there can kind of be just a gray area about where it's appropriate to say something because I just personally I think it's important to remember that people aren't saying that with the intent of setting you off people aren't saying that to hurt you we live in a society where people have internalized all these beliefs you know so even though to you it might come across as something really hurtful they probably didn't mean it in a malicious way. And I feel like I have to really remind myself of that often because I never want to be the person that goes around like pointing fingers or saying anything like that. So in terms of triggers, I feel like I really have just tried to focus on people that are well aware of what I've gone through and want to know ways that they can help me. Then I'll advocate. So important. And as you know, as you're saying about being aware of people, same thing, be self-aware. You know, I've Mm -hmm. Been whenever I travel, I love testing out, you know, fitness studios, all those things. And, you know, (laughs) four times out of five, something comes up relating to Mm -hmm. body, calories, burn, whatever. And it's just at a point now where (laughs) every time I'm like, damn you. No, but it's like (laughs) you're self aware enough where it's like it comes in and I let it out. It's like this is no different than the workout I do at home. And, you know, most times I'm not letting my workouts, my movement, influence any other part of my life so Mm -hmm. once more yeah like find the people that are aware enough that you can talk with them if you need to otherwise I guess be self-aware that triggers will pop yeah and it's like you know the idea and I feel like sometimes this gets overlooked where eating disorders can be a very selfish disorder Mm. in time in my opinion and like in my experience it was a very the most selfish I've ever been in my life and to think you know to understand that the world isn't out to get you, that the world can't change, you know, so many years of diet culture ingrained in them just because it might be triggersome to you is also important to remember, you know, going into recovery, going out into the real world, so to speak. Yeah, so true. I could not agree more with the fact that it's selfish. And I think that's something that's so hard to admit, because of course, we didn't intentionally do it. But like, I think that's another thing that I just like, when I think back on the worry that my dad had or oh my god I will never forget so I don't know if you were the same way but there right when I kind of started recovery when I like knew there was a problem but I still wasn't ready to get better I kept making these like announcements that I wanted to do these things but I didn't do it so for instance I was always being like I just want to gain weight but then I wouldn't do anything to help me gain weight so I remember one time my like best friend Katie I said to her and I was like 
I want to gain weight again for like the 19th time to her. And then she responded back to me and like was trying to help and was like, you know, I really think that maybe it might be worthwhile for you to try eating dairy again, because I think that's like really when you slimmed out and you cut it off. Oh my God, we don't fight. Like I've never gotten in a fight with Katie, except I lost it on her. Like I got so mad. I sent her the most obnoxious text. Sorry, Katie, if you're listening to this, I seriously was just like, you have zero right to tell me what I'm eating. Like, who the hell do you think you are pointing your finger at my plate? Like, oh, like just being so insane. And in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I acted that way to my best friend. That makes me so sad. <laughs> who was I? It's crazy. I know. No, it is. And like, I mean, we all have those moments looking back where it's just like, what was I doing? You know, like, and you are kind of like a new person. I mean, I'm sure that if I knew you back then, now, and I, then I knew you now, I'd be like, whoa, transformation. And same with me. I mean, heck, if you knew me like two years ago, you'd think I'm a different person. Like it just happens. You grow into a new identity. Like you leave that mm-hmm. past behind and everything you believed in and associated and you kind of step into the new, but we all go through it. So, yeah. And, you know, to wrap things up, I did, you know, we were talking a lot about hard stuff and body and everything, but I did want to end on, you know, like a positive note and something that people can really think about, write about whatever they want to do. And, you know, we talked about how the idea that confidence and self-worth can come from more things than just your body and external factors. Mm. So what Mm -hmm. are, you know, like three internalized personality traits that you're just really proud of, you're confident of, you know, like they define, Mm. not define you, but they're, you know, they're a big part of who you are as a person. I love that question. That's a great question. I have to chew on it for a minute. But yes, the first one yeah. that definitely comes to mind, I would say, is it's funny because I don't know if this is necessarily a compliment, but people always tell me that I'm very blunt and very honest. And I honestly take that as a huge compliment because me personally, there is nothing that will piss me off more in this world than passive aggressiveness. Like, I am not going to squeeze you like a sponge to get your message out of you. Like, there's just nothing that irks me more. And because of that, I always really put in a lot of effort to just say how I'm feeling. We need to be aware of the fact that people can't read our minds. Like, we need to voice how we're feeling and share that to them. So, and same thing with, I just, I think a lot of people ask me for advice sometimes because I will tell it to them as it is even if it's not really what they want to hear sometimes you need someone to just give you the cold hard truth so that's something that I definitely pride myself on I would say secondly kind of tying into that I guess I do like to consider myself a really good friend and that's another thing that I really happily embrace I and honestly I think that comes from the fact that I have experienced many bad friendships and really toxic friendships. And I have really learned over the years what it is that I want in a friend and what a good friendship looks like to me. And I really put in so much effort now to make sure that I am that person to other people. And I swear, I just have formed some of the most amazing friendships in the past like three years, maybe just ever since I started really trying to be that person I feel like the people that I wanted came to me you know and that just made my life so so much better that's another thing that I'm really happy to have as a trait and I guess the last one would be kind of related I feel like all of these are related but probably my empathy which again I think you are the exact same way and I think it comes from the fact that 
when you experience some hard things, as tough as it is, I almost feel like it's like a gift that you're able to truly place yourself into somebody else's shoes. I just think that that is something that's so rare, honestly, to have like a shared experience with somebody else where you don't have to tell them, you don't have to go up to someone who's struggling and say, you know, you'll get better. It's fine. Like, what about this? But you can offer them, which I think is way more valuable. You can just say to them, I have been exactly where you are and I know exactly how you feel. And sometimes that is all that I or anybody needs to hear. And to think that I could be that person to somebody else who just feels so alone in their feelings and isolated and unsure about their experience. If I can be the one to tell you that I understand and I have been there, I mean, I can't think of like a better, more rewarding role that I can play. So I'm just glad almost to have gone through the things that I have because I truly do think that it's like made me the person that I am proud to be today. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Those are all the reasons that I adore you. No, but like, it's uh, true. I, I remember like, you know, it was in February, I was going to Florida and I was feeling so, so, so insecure about myself because I realized, you know, I'm bloated AF, I'm in a swimsuit, I'm on a beach. And you know, I was like, I'm going to text Avery because A, like, I know that you will never give me BS. You'll never, you know, like oh just, <laughs> you're just perfect, you know, amazing like that. And then on, like, oh the, my God, what are you doing? Such a, but like the idea of you being, you know, like such a good friend is so true. Like you're always there. You're so supportive and you are empathetic. Like, you know, your reply was exactly what I needed. You weren't trying to like erase my fears or say like, no, no, it'll be all okay. You're just like, I'm in the same spot right now. I feel how you feel but like, remember this. And it was just such the message I needed. Like it was the only message that helped me through that time. You know, I had a couple other friends, you know, kind of try to help and nothing was getting through to me. Like your messages, like that combination of being so straightforward, empathetic, and just, you are such a great friend. Like Praise be. Everyone go be Avery's friend. You have to earn (laughs) it. Oh my god. That that seriously, well, this whole conversation as a whole has made my day, but that genuinely just made my entire day, you know? And I swear, like, hearing things like that, like, and that's why I think it's so important to try and remember that we have traits like that, because you saying that to me, like, you telling me that you think I'm a good friend, that means so much more to me, and I will hang on to that for so much longer than if you were, like, nice ass Avery or like something you know (laughs) like something physical like something so unrelated I just think that we all want to be at the end of the day we all want to be appreciated for things like that nobody actually wants to be selected on the basis of their physical appearance I hope not you know so I mean I think the more that we can say things like that to each other and like remind ourselves that we have so much more to offer as a human and not as a physical body I just think that makes all the difference and you like seriously things like that though I, that's why I know this is such a good friendship because just we can support each other but same thing just the ability to like compliment each other and just remind each other that like we're struggling but we can do it together and like I truly believe that you're strong enough to like overcome everything that you're dealing with that is just and the fact that I feel so much better that's kind of how I judge if it like a friendship too is like I just feel so much happier now versus if I feel like after if I talk to someone that it was kind of toxic I would be like sleeping so this just reminds me that this is a wonderful friendship I'm very glad to have (laughs) yay I love that's why I love podcasting with people because I can tell right away I'm like we have a connection or it's like nope that was surface level like Mm. so there 
Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're amazing. And I just appreciate you so much. This was such an amazing conversation. Like it just flew by and I felt like we touched on so many topics that'll resonate with people and help them. So you're the best. I can't believe it's been an hour. I'm I know. Like mind blown. <laughs> it went by very oh, this fast. This was so great. Well, I'm so glad people... you had me. Thank you so much for having me on here. Oh my here. gosh, of course. So me. <laughs> no, you're, it's amazing. I, I'm so excited for this episode to come out. Like truly, truly, truly. And where can people oh, yeah. find you? Because you are one of my favorite people to follow. Like right up there with Mal. <laughs> Oh, oh, our girlfriend, our daughter. Our trio. <laughs> oh my God, seriously. I say that to her. I really, like, I would not survive on the gram if it weren't for you two. I swear. I know, I, <laughs> I know. I need that. Right <laughs> but, there with hi, you. Hi, my name's Avery. You can find me at, at talk tummy to me on Instagram just for shits and gigs if it makes anybody laugh. Uh, I had a friend say that they sing my handle to Talk Dirty to Me by Jason Derulo. So it's like, talk to me, to me. You know, so I don't know if that makes it easier to remember. Uh, hey, that's me. <laughs> I could, I could like make a theme song for your episode. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, I would not. I seriously can't think of anything better. Please do that. <laughs> I'll find a musical. <laughs> I'll find, find some musical time to do it. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. <laughs> So much good in this episode. Honestly, we could have gone on and on, but we both had things to do and places to go. So perhaps we'll have Avery on again. But in the meantime, if you guys want to connect with her and just chat about some of the topics we discussed today, she's on Instagram at TalkTummyToMe. I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. We would both love to connect with you, to chat, to discuss. We are all about that type of thing. So let us know your thoughts. Um, and yeah, I just really hope this resonated or connected with you, made you feel less alone. That's all we want in the world, right? I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.